I hope you're uh, stirred by this morning. Um, I felt that prophetic word that came was, uh, was quite powerful for us. Um, and uh, it struck me when I was uh, talking to Barry on Friday, he was saying, is, is your talk called Transformed Lives or Transforming Lives? And I said, oh, I don't really care. And uh, it ended up as Transforming Lives. But you know, the more I've thought about it, the more I think Transforming Lives was the right choice. Because what we're going to do this morning is not to talk about just a transformed life that happened once a long time ago. We're going to talk about a God who is transforming lives. And he's transforming lives today. And he can transform lives here today. So this is not a history lesson. We, we serve a living God. And God is here. And it could be your day for your life to be transformed So I just want to pray before I start and just ask God to do that. Father God, I thank you that you are a living, breathing, active God. You are with us. And I thank you that you're here today. Thank you for speaking to us already. Come Holy Spirit, I pray. Come and work among us. Please come and transform our lives here today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I did a very silly thing recently, and I've got to tell you, it's not the first. I was having a conversation just in the front of the building here with two of our younger members of staff, with uh, Sophie and with Craig, and uh, I can't remember how, you know how it is, the subject got on to running, and um, I said, oh, yeah, I I run a bit. I used to run a bit more. And uh, then I said, you know, I I did the Great North Run three times. Uh, That means I'm not very bright because you think you would learn, wouldn't you? (laughs) And then as the conversation went on, something terrible happened. Suddenly, out of my heart and up through my mouth came the words, do you know... I've always wanted to do just one more half marathon. (laughs) Now, freeze time, and we'll have a little Disney inside-out moment, if you've seen the film. So in my head, there's a sudden jolt, and my head says, what did he say? (laughs) Whoa, 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 whoa. You're, You're too old for that sort of thing. And my body jumps in and says, you certainly are. Those aches and pains, ooh, feel that? Twinges. You're too old, says, and, says my mind, you're too busy. Well, yeah, that's a reasonable argument, isn't it? I probably am too busy. And then the final argument, the killer argument, was insinuated. It was, and you'll make such a complete fool of yourself. Ooh, I thought. Right, cut back to the conversation. By this time, in the real world conversation, we'd moved on. We were researching suitable half marathons in the vicinity. We were putting together a Hope Church team to run in the half marathon. And more than that, we've really gone. We were developing branded sportswear for all the runners. Run with hope, 
TM. So you may just find that next year there is perhaps a surprising addition to a local half marathon somewhere near you. And it's all my own fault. How about that? Anyway, you may want to join the team, I don't know. Can I just say, if you can really run, please don't. <laughs> well, our Bible passage today is, again, is about something really that's much more surprising than that. Uh, we're looking today at the account in the Bible of Saul's conversion. It's such a famous story that it's actually entered into our language, hasn't it? People who don't know the Bible, people who aren't Christians, talk about a road to Damascus conversion when anybody suddenly says something completely the opposite of what they said before. And this passage that we're going to read in a moment tells us, shows us how Saul, the church destroyer, encountered the risen Jesus and became Paul, the church planter. And I just want to warn you now, this is a little warning, as we go on, if I get mixed up and I say Saul and then Paul and Paul and then Saul, you need to know it's the same guy, okay? He was Saul, he became Paul, it's the same guy. So whatever I say, it's him we're talking about. Okay, so let's look, uh, if you're turning your Bibles or on your tablet, whatever you've got, it's Acts chapter 9, and we're going to read verses 1 to 19, it'll appear on the screen there. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest and he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus, and he remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now, I love this verse actually. Now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. There's the clue. The Lord spoke to him in a vision and said, Ananias. Well, you would, wouldn't you? Sorry, it just strikes me as funny. <laughs> yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, Go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas, and when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he might see again. Uh, but Lord, exclaimed Ananias, um, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls on your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. 
He laid hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from, his, from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is indeed the Son of God. Wow. Now that is a story. And I would like to just look at three simple things, I think, that that I feel God impressed on me from this story that I believe God wants to minister something to our hearts this morning. And the first one is this. God chooses surprising recruits. God chooses unlikely, surprising recruits. Saul is arguably the most unlikely recruit ever to the church. But God chooses him nonetheless. Now, I don't know about you, but I I find, I think for us, it's quite difficult to really get hold of how unlikely a recruit Saul actually was. You see, when I think about Saul, I'm reading it through the lens of, of, I've spent years reading the New Testament. I've spent years reading Paul speaking about the grace and mercy of God, expounding theology to us. Paul talking about all these things. I mean, so much of the New Testament was written by him. So much of what we have came through him that when I kind of look back through that lens, I know he persecuted the church, but it doesn't sort of doesn't go in. Here's, if we think, you know, if you think of someone who's really anti-Christian, we might think of Richard Dawkins. Well, he's not even in the same league as Saul. Nowhere near it. This is Paul's description of himself. These are his own words. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. This is the man. Saul was an obsessive, a murderer, a torturing religious maniac. That's who he was. Not particularly good material for an apostle, you might think. I might think. When the early church sat down and were thinking of their next evangelistic campaign, I don't think Saul was very high on their list. I don't think he was even warm. In fact, I think he would have been on my list of, God, you've got to take this man out. And when I was trying to get my head around it, I came across another story, a more modern one. Now, I can't be certain. I can't, I've tried to verify. I can't be certain. But I think even, I don't know, I think it's just a helpful thing to maybe translate Saul's story into today. And uh, I don't know if the tech team can, can get us going. I'd like you to listen to a little radio clip. This is a story that uh, is told. Your lady you'll hear is called Gina Fadley, and she's the director of Youth with a Mission. 
and I know something about them. I, th- I find it a very moving story. Don't miss the guy who was killed, but his last act was to give his Bible to the man who God spoke to. God works in mysterious ways. And God worked in the life of Saul. You see, when I think about Saul, what do I see? I see a frightening monster. I see a crazy guy. I see someone I wouldn't want to get a million miles near. I, wouldn't, I would be, want to be a million miles away. But God looked at Saul, and he saw a precious son that was lost. And I look at Saul, and I see someone who's bending every energy, every gift, everything he can to oppose this Jesus, to destroy his kingdom. But God looks at Saul and says, I can take all those gifts and I can use them for my kingdom. I just need to turn him around. I just need to turn him around. I would be saying to God, you need to take this man out. He's wrecking the show. And God, I think, answers, I'll take him out. Just watch how I do it. And he takes him and he turns him around. God doesn't look the way we do. And that turnaround, that point of repentance, to use the Bible word, comes in an encounter with God on a public road when Saul is on his way to do even more damage. When he's least expecting it, when in truth he's not even looking for it. Why is this here? Why is this in the Bible? I don't think it's a model of how we all get saved, of how we all come to faith in Jesus. It's certainly not my story. (laughs) I'm sure it's probably not many of your stories. And so we're not to compare ourselves with this experience. Wow, what a story. Wish mine was like that. That's not what it's there for. It's there. It models for us what we all can identify with. The four things that are the bedrock of becoming a Christian, of of repentance, of turning around, literally turning around the way you're going and turning back, of putting your trust in Jesus instead of in your own agenda, faith, of baptism in water, of baptism in the Holy Spirit, elements that are key for every Christian to base their Christian life on. But more than that, I think this is here because it's a grace story. Here we have a demonstration of not really about how bad Saul was, because he was bad. It's a demonstration of how good God yeah, is. Right. It's a demonstration of God's saving power. Yes. It's a demonstration of his amazing grace. It's a demonstration of his overflowing mercy. Yeah. To make his arch enemy his friend. That's what God did, to turn a man around who was hell-bent on going the wrong way and to turn him to do the right way. It's not so much a story about a man, it's a story about our God, our saving, transforming God. And that's how Paul sees it. If you read through the New Testament, he often refers to his own story. It's, it's something that's never far from his mind. Talks about his experience of grace. He often retells the story. He's ready to explain it. He sees it as an opportunity to witness to the power and the glory of God, a cause for praise and worship. You know, I think I might have tried to cover it up. Would you? <laughs> That's why I changed my name, because people kept going on about that Saul guy who did all that nasty stuff. So I'll, I'll change my name to Paul. That was then. This is now. No, none of that for Paul. Paul is not ashamed 
of his past. Paul glories in his past because his past demonstrates the wonderful saving and transforming power of God. Listen to this little quote I have picked up. The longer we spend in God's presence, the more the light shines and highlights our sin. The Apostle Paul starts out by describing himself as the least of all the apostles in Corinthians. Later on, he calls himself less than the least of all God's people. That's in Ephesians. And finally, he describes himself as the worst of sinners in Timothy. But it's not that he got worse. It's simply that through the awesome power of God's presence, he became more and more aware of the light that was shining in his heart. That could seem negative, but actually for Paul, it was the opposite. His overwhelming feeling was gratitude and praise because no matter what he had done wrong, he knew he was forgiven and could know relationship with God. Paul's story is a grace story. He had every reason to disqualify himself from being in God's kingdom. Every reason. And yet, it's that same Saul, that same Paul, the same guy who writes so eloquently about grace, who writes in Romans, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who writes about, if God is for me, who can be against me? Who, 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 he embodied the grace of God. And he talked about it constantly. Some of you might have been here a few weeks ago when Steve asked me to share a little bit of my story before he spoke. And if you weren't here, it's, it's a simple story. I, I gave my life to God, started following God, thought it all went wrong, and uh, had a middle period of my life where I, I just lost my way. And God graciously brought me back. Now, I don't tell that because that says much about me. That doesn't say much about me that I like. I want you to know that because that says a lot about my God. So the reason I'm standing here this morning is because of the grace and the mercy and the love of God. See, our stories are not our stories. They're his stories. They're stories of his goodness and his grace to us. I want to encourage you to keep your own grace story kind of close to hand because your own grace story has power. Don't diminish it. It's not like Saul's probably, mine isn't, but it's real. It's a real story of God's grace in my life. I would encourage you, keep your story of God's grace in your life close to hand so when you bump into people who don't know him, you've got it there to tell. When you bump into people who are experiencing something you've experienced, you can start to talk to them about how you got through that because of God's grace and mercy. How you can share the grace of God with others. Saul's story stands as a marker to us. God can choose and use anybody. That's Paul's view. Paul is saying effectively, if God can do this for me, and you know what I was, he can do it for anybody. Anybody. There isn't a person here this morning that God cannot transform. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been. I don't know if we have any monsters here this morning, but God looks on people that we would say were monsters, and God can transform their lives. If you're not a Christian here this morning, let me say this to you. That's why we call this the good news. Because it's good news. It really is. 
At least four of us think it's good news here this morning. <laughs> it's good news. I can't think of any better news, really. <laughs> it's good news. And if you are a Christian, I, I just sense God wants us to remind us afresh of his ability to save. He can do it. We can't. He can. God sees something that most of us would write off, and he writes it in. God sees things that we would write out of God's story, and he writes them into his story. God looks at misplaced zeal, and he turns it around. God looks at people and sees something that I don't always see. God forgive me when I look at people and write them off. Well, they're never going to respond. Well, I can't say anything to them because I know they won't be interested. <laughs> I was very challenged at West Point by something very similar about my attitude to those I'm around. Am I, am I subtly making a judgment about how ready they are to hear about Jesus? They're all ready. And if they're not ready, try anyway. But we can make judgments in our heart. We, we look and we don't see as God sees I look at people and I think, oh, they're really nice, actually. They're, they're almost sort of Christian already. So they'll be easy to reach, won't they? You know, you'd think they were. In fact, they look quite Christian, actually. <laughs> so I'll, I'll talk to them. I, I don't want to talk to them, actually, because they're, they're obviously not. And therefore, they won't be interested, will they? No. God have mercy on me. I want to change the way I think. I want to start seeing like God sees. I want to start looking people at people in the way that God looks at people. Don't rule yourself out this morning. That's my end of my first bit. Don't rule yourself out because God chooses unlikely recruits. Secondly, it gets better. God gives us a heavenly call. That's not a very expensive thing on your mobile I'm talking about. It's a commission. In Paul's case, he receives a commission, a calling, a job to do right at the very beginning, as soon as he encounters Jesus. And through their other references to the story in Acts, we get a fuller understanding of it, both through Paul and through Ananias. It says in Acts 26, Jesus said, I am Jesus who you're persecuting. The Lord replied, now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That's a pretty big job for someone who five minutes ago was on their way to destroy the church in Damascus. That's a bit of a turnaround. That takes a bit of swallowing, wouldn't you think? Oh, that's not what I was going to do. Now I've got this mega job. But an encounter with God, as many of us know here, leaves you changed. You can't bump into God and just carry on as if nothing happened. The challenge, I think, for us this morning is this. You see, I believe we are all called for purpose. All called for purpose. So what's yours? What's yours? Now I know you'll say, ah, but I'm not, I'm not Saul. I'm not going to be an apostle. No, you're right. You're probably not. You're probably not. 
but you're called for purpose. The New Testament teaches us that. The New Testament teaches us that God chose you before the foundation of the world. The New Testament teaches us that we are called according to his... (laughs) I think you can do better than that. We are called according to his... Very good. (laughs) Go on, say it again. We're called according to his purpose. We are called. God is not, he's not like me. He is, does not do random acts and act aimlessly. You did not come into the kingdom of God on a day when God was saving people and you just happened to bumble into the right place. You were not saved as a job lot. You were chosen. You were called. And you were called with a purpose. We are called out of purposelessness. We are called out of wasting our lives into giving our lives and wasting them on God and serving Him. We have a destiny. I want to say that. I want to say that. It's important you hear that. I want to say that over you. Hope Church. We have a destiny. You're not just happy to be here on Sunday morning. We have a destiny. We're called. And we need to lift our eyes to the bigger picture. You want to know what life is all about? This is what it's all about. The kingdom of God. Knowing God, making Him known, loving and serving Him, enjoying Him forever. That's what it's all about. So what things has God put on your heart? I'm not talking, as I said, about you necessarily being an apostle. It would be great if there were one or two here or more. I'm not even talking about you necessarily working full-time for the church. What I'm talking about is that you have a sense of calling that God has called you where you are. You're not just randomly living out your life. You might be in business or in teaching. You might be studying right now as a student. You might be just going away to university. That's not just what you do next. You know, if your life is in God's hands, you are going away with purpose to a place he's called you to, to do things he's called you to do, to learn things he wants you to learn. It's all part of his great purpose for you. It doesn't necessarily mean that we are called to go, which we hear a lot about. And it's great that people are called to go. We need that. But some people are called to stay. Otherwise, there won't be anybody left to go next time, will there? (laughs) But you need to be called to stay. It's not just, you know, it's not just like, I was never very good at football. It's not just like, you know, when they pick the teams, you're the one that's left. You know, oh, I'm staying. Why are you staying? Well, nobody picked me. No, it's not that. It's that you're called to stay or you're called to go. Nobody's called to hover in between. So make your mind up. You need to know. You might be called to raise your family, to love your neighbors, to do your job the way that God would want you to do it. That's a calling. But it elevates it from the mundane. Oh, dear. It's so easy, isn't it? We get caught up in the mundane of life. Just the day-to-day, what are you doing, day-to-day stuff. But it's part of God's purpose for us. When I, when I was at work, I remember somebody had this poster. I tried to find it, and I couldn't do it. Or at least I couldn't find one I could show. And uh, it was a cartoon, and it had this guy, and there were lots of alligators. And it said, when you're up to your neck in alligators, it's difficult to remember that your original objective was to drain the swamp. 
get it? When you're up to your neck in alligators, you're fighting the data. It's difficult to remember that when you started out, you're called to drain the swamp. And it can be like that with us. You know, we start out, we're called, we're called to something. But the day-to-day, -day, the alligators, they come. And they take a chunk out of us. And another one takes a chunk out of us. And we're trying to fight them off. And, we're and we end up just living life fighting alligators and forgetting what it was that we wanted to do. We need to keep our perspective. We're called to be a people of purpose, not pew fodder. You're not here so that I've got somebody to talk to. It's not meant to be like that. <laughs> you're not here just because you're bumbling along through life and Sunday morning and the sun stops shining, so we'll go to church. Not meant to be like that, folks. We're here to serve God and be part of his purpose. And it saddens me when I meet people who have, have no sense or have lost this sense of destiny. We are more than just ordinary people walking around, making a living on this planet. We're more than that. We're called to more than that. We're part of God's people and his army and his family. We're called to bring the kingdom now. We were put on this planet for a purpose. If you don't know that this morning, I encourage you, keep looking for it. Seek God until you find it. Don't give up. If you want to know what it's all about, seek God. It's quite possible that other people will be involved in that process. Did you notice poor Ananias? That was a short straw, wasn't it? <laughs> Ananias. Ooh, go and pray for this guy. Oh, he's very polite, wasn't he? Oh, but Lord... I think I'd have been saying, what? <laughs> I think that was too much cheese last night, actually. I don't think that's the voice of God speaking to me. <laughs> but think about this. What would have happened if Ananias had said no? What would have happened if Ananias didn't hear God and didn't do that? Well, I don't know. I'm sure God would have found some other way. But what I'm trying to say is other people get drawn in to our God's story. And in terms of finding your role and purpose in God and finding that sense of it, the church family has a role to play. Other people have a role in recognizing your gifting and what you are and helping you find your destiny. And we want to work together so that we all flourish and find our destiny. Don't give up until you have. God chooses unlikely people like you and me, and God gives us a heavenly call. It's wonderful, but there's one more thing. You see, it doesn't end when you get the call. Saul had an amazing experience on that Damascus road. But we would never have heard of him again if it hadn't been for one thing. And it's my third point. God is looking for an obedient response. God is looking for an obedient response. In fact, I tell you this, if Paul hadn't been obedient, we wouldn't be here this morning. Because Paul's mission was to preach the gospel to the people who were not Jews. And if you haven't worked that out, that's us. Paul was God's chosen instrument to take the good news about Jesus outside of Jew, the Jude Jewish nation to others. And we are here today in part because of his obedience and the grace of God. In his defense before King Agrippa... In Acts 26, Paul says this, So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. He describes to the king what had happened to him.
But then he described what happened next. I wasn't disobedient to what had happened to me. Was it all his effort? No. We know Paul was conscious of the grace of God, but God needed his willing obedience. Think about it. Paul responds to God, I would suggest to you, without really understanding a great deal about what was going on. He couldn't have. He's walking down the road. He has this pow experience of Jesus, and his life is changed. How much do you think he knew about the gospel then? How much do you think he knew about the theology? He didn't know very much. All he knew was he'd had an encounter and something had changed. And if you notice what he did, he did the only thing he could do. He just did what he was told. And it wasn't difficult. What did God say to him? Get up. I can do that. Go into the city. Wait. He did all of that. Spent three days praying, so we learn. When Ananias comes, who God had sent, he receives him as God's messenger. He's prayed for. He receives healing. His eyes are opened. He's prayed for. He receives the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And he gets up. And watch this. Three days he hasn't eaten. He gets up. And he gets baptized. And then he has his, his lunch. Now, I don't know about you. But if I'd, have been, if I'd have been poor, three days without anything to eat, I think I know what would have been first on my list. And it probably wouldn't have been baptism. I might faint in the pool. I need to have just something to eat, just, you know, just so I can pray with more vigor. No. Priorities. Saul did what he was told. He received. He got baptized in water. He got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the next thing is we find him preaching the gospel before he disappears off into Arabia for three years to work out what the heck happened to me. When I spoke from my heart in my silly little story about a half marathon, <laughs> I did it really without thinking about the consequences. So all my excuses came later. And they could, and they might still prevent me from doing it. But my point is this. <laughs> if God's put something in your heart, don't allow the obstacles that the mind, your mind or the world brings up to stop you. Do you hear them? Well, I'm too old. It's too late. I'm too busy. I'll make such a complete idiot of myself. Don't listen. Go with your heart. When God speaks... Obey, even if you don't get it. You know, when I was a late teenager, I first came to faith in Jesus, and I always believed uh, there were various things happened that I would end up serving God, uh, working in a church. I always believed that. It was always there. Didn't look very likely as my story unfolded. Didn't happen the way I thought it would. I spent 28 years, 26 years in, in the chemical industry. That didn't seem very much like it. I went, my path took me, as I've said to you, away from God and his, by his grace back. I've been all over the place. And I look at it and I think, wow, that's not the way I'd have done it. But you know something, I learned so much through all of that, that by his grace, God brought me back to what he had called me to in the first place. Are you living conscious of your destiny? That's not heavy, that's actually exciting. 
Or are you just bumbling along this morning? Are you using your gifts and your talents for things that actually are not building the kingdom? Are you heading in the wrong direction? You know, the answer very often is an encounter with God. It's not about us conjuring something up. It's an encounter with God, and we can't conjure God up. We have access to his presence. It's wonderful. But that encounter with God is in his hands, the way he does it. Maybe not like Saul. Pazam. Maybe it'll be quiet. Maybe not the first time you ask. It may be when you least expect it. But, you know, we need encounters with God. What did, Paul, what, did, what did Jesus say to Paul? Acts 26, 16, it says, I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen, the encounter, and what you will see. You see, that wasn't Paul's last encounter with the risen Jesus. We know that from some of his other writings. Paul had encounters with his God. It wasn't one-off. Maybe you're here this morning, you had a call, you think you've messed it up. I want to tell you, and I'm living proof of this, God's grace is bigger than that. Stop fighting him. Stop disagreeing with him. It's arrogant, you know. It's very arrogant for me to disagree with God. God's got a call on my life. Yeah, but I've messed it up, Lord, so you can't use me now. Well, I can. No, you can't. (laughs) Who am I? Who am I to say that? God recruits unlikely people. He gives them a call. He gives them a purpose. He requires from us a response of obedience. That's what he's looking for. And it's not that we have to do it all. It's obedient hearts. Because if we have obedient hearts, he will do what he has promised to do. Friends, let's be a responsive people today, shall we?